Um, for those of you who had dinner just now, I hope you'll stay awake and you won't get food coma. All right. um, let me say a quick prayer and, um, and, and get us started on this. Uh, Heavenly Father, thank you for this evening. Thank you for gathering um, us together to discuss this topic. Um, Lord, give us wisdom and give us uh, receptive uh, learning hearts. Help us to make uh, changes, improvements in, in areas in our lives as a result of what we learned today. Uh, Lord, we are uh, your children and we are uh, listening to, to you, our Father's voice. Uh, so speak to us and uh, be with us at this hour, we pray in your Son's name. Amen. All right, so we're talking about spiritual apathy. And what I thought it'd be cool to do is starting off is asking you this, this question at the very top, all right? This sort of introductory discussion question and open the floor up for some thoughts. Um, what does apathy sound like or look like in your um, day-to-day life? Can you just kind of yell out a few things um, that comes to mind when you think about this is what apathy looks like in my day-to-day or what, what it can sound like even in my head when I'm feeling apathetic? Indifferent, yeah. Indifference. What else? Ignoring... What was that? What I think I should do. What I think I should do, yeah. What else? Okay, yeah, disinterest and especially um, things that go beyond personal life. Okay, yeah. Maybe one more? Yeah, lack of care or motivation, right? Um, so there's, there's that, right? There's all this stuff that, and there's plenty more that you could sort of use in describing the feeling of apathy. And then, and then you're here, um, and I'm just going to use like a, a triangle. When you feel apathetic, you have all these sort of feelings that function like, like rain clouds that sort of rain on your parade, okay? And when you, when you get hit with this, here you are feeling apathetic, okay? And this is just all clouding over you, okay? Um, that's just to kind of give you a, a visual picture of how we might uh, experience apathy. Now, uh, is that a problem? Is, is this a problem? Um, that's probably the first thing that we should talk about. And according to psychologists, it, it's actually a real problem. So in psychological literature, there's actually a lot of things addressing apathy. And um, there, there are three main domains of diagnosis. You have diminished goal-directed behavior, and that's like a lack of effort in, in, in general. You have diminished goal-directed cognition, meaning just lack of interest, lack of uh, concern for things. And then there's diminished uh, emotions. So you have this sort of lack of emotional response to things that are happening around you. 
And then they'll use these criteria and then look at a patient and actually clinically diagnose people uh, with a real condition. So in psychological literature, it's definitely a real problem. Here's a sample test I took, I pulled from an author that's, uh, that was writing about apathy and it's intended to help people sort of self-diagnose a little bit whether they are struggling with apathy. So I wanna give you a minute to do a sort of a quick overview of, of yourself Rate yourself one to four, uh, one being not at all, two being slightly, three being somewhat, four being a lot, and look at each of these, give yourself a number, okay? I am interested in things. I get things done during the day. Getting things started on my own is important to me. I'm interested in having new experiences. I am interested in learning new things. I put effort into anything. I approach life with intensity. Seeing a job through to the end is important to me. I spend time doing things that interest me. I don't need to be told what to do. I'm aware and concerned about my problem areas. I have friends. Getting together with friends is important to me. When something good happens, I get excited. I have an accurate understanding of my problems. Getting things done during the day is important to me. I have initiative. I have motivation. Okay, yeah. Yeah. They're, they're different. They're not, apathy and depression are different things, but they are kind of like a Venn diagram. You can overlap. Um, yeah, you can be apathetic without feeling necessarily uh, despair, right? You can, you can feel low energy without necessarily feeling, uh, I have no reason to live, right? So low drive, low energy, and these sort of feelings of sadness or despair are, are not identical things. So, they can overlap, but they're not the same thing. That's a good question, yeah. So add up your numbers. See what, see what you get, All right? Yeah, bust out that calculator. If you score under 40, you probably uh, struggle with apathy at some level. Uh, if, if you score above 40, maybe, maybe you're doing okay. Maybe you're not so apathetic after all. But if you score under 40, that probably means there's some work to be done. It doesn't mean you need to go see a therapist. Uh, it means uh, there's, some, there's some changes that could take place in your life. Okay. From a, so f this is from a psychological point of view. All right. It's an it's a, it's a issue that needs addressing. It's, it's, not, uh, it's not a light uh, matter. And so what we're doing here is we're kind of warming up to this idea that apathy is, is important uh, to think about and to think less casually about apathy. Okay. I hope that's beginning to happen where you're warming up to the idea that apathy is important. It's, it's a serious matter not to be taken casually. Okay. Um, I think another way that I sound out apathy in my, in my sort of day-to-day -day life is 
um, maybe thoughts like, I, I don't care as much about that. Or, in reality, I seem to care very little about that. Or, I don't pay much attention to that anymore. Um, now, on, on, on the surface, is that such a bad thing? Um, aren't there things in life that we should care quite little about uh, and pay very little attention to? Like, how many steps did it take for you to go from the parking lot into this building? Right, nobody knows, and you don't need to know. Uh, how thick is this carpet that we are sitting on? Uh, what, what was the weather like five years ago today? Uh, these are real facts that you really can pay very, if any, like, no attention to. Right? Why? Because they're trivial things. Being apathetic about trivial things is a healthy thing. Uh, if you were overly concerned about the weather five years ago today, that, that itself could be a problem. Um, there's some things we should be apathetic about. But what if we were to begin feeling this way about important things? Uh, what if we were to care very little about and, and pay very little attention to things of great importance and begin to see those things as trivial? Uh, then that's a problem, right? Then we have a problem of apathy. So it depends on what you mean by that. Depends on what you mean by that. Um, and we're here to address the problem of spiritual apathy, right? Because as believers, we understand um, the importance of and significance of our relationship with God. And yet we also understand uh, we're, we're very capable of caring very little about our relationship with God. That's, that's a problem, isn't it? Right? Uh, we can actually look at the creator of the universe and see him as carrying very little significance in our lives. So that kind of apathy we need to work on and, and correct because he's not trivial. God is not trivial. So there's a revised sort of spiritual version of the test you just took. If you, if you um, flip the page, I think. Try this one. I am interested in spiritual matters. I, I just tweaked the previous one. I just added spiritual terminology. That's all I did. I am interested in spiritual matters. I get spiritual disciplines done during the day. Getting spiritual activity started on my own is important to me. Right, and, you're, and you're still putting a, just for fun, putting a number to it. Um, I am interested in having new fruitful experiences. I'm interested in learning new biblical truths. I put effort into anything spiritual. I approach spiritual life with intensity. Seeing a ministry through to the end is important to me. I spend time doing spiritual things that interest me. Nobody has to tell me what to do spiritually each day. I am concerned about my spiritual problem areas. I have Christian friends. Getting together with Christian friends is important to me. When something spiritually fruitful happens, I get excited. 
I have an accurate understanding of my spiritual problems. Getting spiritual activities done during the day is important to me. I have initiative for my spiritual life. I have motivation to live in godliness. So add up your numbers for that one. And how does it compare to your, your previous score? Is it, is it, does it match up? Is one higher than the other? And the, and the point here is, uh, is spiritual apathy beginning to appear as a problem for you? you know, pause and consider that. Not apathy per se, but spiritual apathy. Um, does it occur to you this, this could be a spiritual problem area uh, for you? Okay. Anybody notice anything interesting or um, surprising or? It was obvious? What do you mean? Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So this one was lower than the previous one. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. Same for me. <laughs> yeah. Right. So, um, if from a psychological standpoint, apathy is a problem, and we score a bit lower on the spiritual apathy test, right? Then. Uh, for, for us as spiritually minded people, right, this should concern us, shouldn't it? Right. Now, if it does concern you, uh, that's good news. That's really good news because it's, it's the awareness um, of apathy that begins to cure it. Because we're, we're starting to not feel apathetic about our apathy. As soon as you say, this is a problem area for me, you're pushing against being apathetic about your apathy. So step number one is, this is a problem. And if you can identify it as a problem, it's good news. It, it, that's the best start possible, all right? Now, before we um, jump into sort of, okay, how do we, how do we cure this thing? Uh, a little history of apathy. There's actually a historically a lot of literature on spiritual apathy since the early church. So I'm going to just give you like a three-minute uh, version of that. Um, apathy as virtue and vice. So the Greek word apatheia, which is where we get the word apathy, was actually in the early church used to describe God. Isn't that interesting? It means impassibility, meaning that God is not di dictated or ruled by outside passions. Uh, but in a sense, he's apathetic towards them. Uh, so, for example, we know that God is love, right? God is love. But we also know God's love is not ruled by or, or dictated by outside subjects or influences, um, like the devil or disobedient people, right? Um, God is love in and of himself, and his love is unchanging. 
He is impassable in that sense, unchanging. And early Christians, therefore, found this quality about God to be so admirable. Um, Here's a quote from the fourth century monk Pontus. He says, apathy is health of the soul. When the soul has acquired apathy, it will easily recognize the schemes of the enemies. Now, why does he say that? Because the enemy is out to make us passionate about the world and all its passions, kind of get get us hooked on worldly passions. So apathy in the early church meant you have the discipline and the uh, self-control so you're not being ruled over by the passions of of the world. Uh, So through various spiritual disciplines, you maintain apatheia uh, towards the world and your own flesh. So apathy was actually a virtue um, in the early church that involved God-likeness and spiritual disciplines because it's apathy towards the world. But then over time, right, uh, fast-forwarding, apathy takes a different turn over time. Apathy towards the world brings in kind of this sinful cousin called acidia, um, which is a word for sloth or laziness. So this is where apathy goes wrong. Uh, Apathy now appears in the form of laziness, indifference, unmotivated attitudes, easy exhaustion, and it's no longer directed towards the passions of the world, but towards the disciplines that keep us from the passions of the world, okay? Keep us from being awakened uh, to God. So Pontus uh, also wrote in, in this form of a warning to his fellow monks, saying, watch out for sinful apathy because it's hatred of industriousness, battle against stillness, stormy weather for psalmody, singing, Uh, laziness in prayer, untimely drowsiness, oppressiveness of solitude, opponent of perseverance, a muzzling of meditation, ignorance of the scriptures, a partaker of sorrow. It is the noonday demon. Okay. He he describes our uh, bondage to apathy um, as a form of demonic bondage. Um, something we, we desperately need, therefore, uh, liberation from, deliverance from, okay? So apathy is no longer this morally virtuous thing. It's not even a neutral thing. It's, it's now a spiritual sickness. Um, Thomas Aquinas caught in an oppressive sorrow um, because it's, it's a lack of joy in the Lord that attacks our, our spiritual life. It's numbness toward God, um, It's the inability to delight in scripture and prayer. And so apathy is is almost like this slow spiritual decay and and death. Um, Dorothy Sayers said, apathy is a sin which lives for nothing and only remains alive because there's nothing it would die for. Uh, Apathy would not die for anything. So so fast forward to today, uh, we have we have really cemented this idea of uh, battling against spiritual apathy. And we'll, we'll get into a bit more about why that's even a bigger issue for us today. Um, but here's a, a quote from Uche Anizor. He's a theologian who wrote the book Overcoming Apathy. And in that book, he defines apathy this way. Apathy, he says, is a psychological and spiritual sickness in which we experience a prolonged dampening of motivation, effort, and emotion, as well as a resistance to the things 
that would bring flourishing in ourselves and others. It is a sin. Why? He, he makes that clear. It is a sin that expresses itself as relentless, aimlessness, uh, sorry, restlessness, aimlessness, laziness, and joylessness toward the things of God. Okay? So that's the definition he gives of uh, apathy, both from a psychological and spiritual standpoint. Um, again, can you identify aspects of your life, of yourself, in this definition? Okay. And is it, again, is it beginning to concern you? And are you beginning to feel uh, less apathetic about your apathy? Um, here's another thing that uh, Anazor talks about in his book that's very helpful that I wanted to also add to this presentation for you. Um, and that's the backstory, his concept of the backstory of our apathy. Okay, so there are a list of um, seven things here, mostly from his book, where he, he talks about how our apathy um, isn't kind of this just standalone thing, but Surrounding our apathy are all these other th things that create our spiritual ecosystem. And so when you, when you start describing those things, you can maybe get a better picture of, okay, what's really underneath my, my spiritual apathy? So number one, doubt. Is doubt uh, the backstory of your apathy? Um, are there unresolved questions you have about God and faith? that keep you from engaging in your spiritual life more wholeheartedly and actively. And that could be intellectual doubt, it could be experiential doubt, relational doubt, emotional doubt. How are you wrestling with these doubts? Um, and maybe you have and you haven't found sufficient answers or resolutions and the weariness of that is causing spiritual apathy. Grief. Uh, grief drains our motivations. Uh, it, it sort of saps the, the drive to even do simple, meaningful things in our day-to-day -day lives. Um, are there things that you are knowingly or unknowingly grieving about um, in your life? And have you processed that grief um, before God with other people? Otherwise, uh, it's, it could be making you numb. And that could also contribute to spiritual apathy. Uh, number three, uh, triviality. Um, he says, at a time when everything must be posted, liked, commented on, retweeted, we are slowly conditioned to treat worthy things unworthily or become more democratic and stop caring about everything equally. Okay. So do you find yourself getting carried away by a lot of insignificant information in your day-to-day -day life. Um, and that overwhelming amount of triviality that you're exposed to, that's flooding your inbox, flooding your phone, um, could it be moving you to stop caring about everything equally altogether? Triviality, um, excess amount of uh, information. And there's hopelessness it's being numbed by the sense of um, nothing really matters in the end. Um, some of you have heard the term compassion fatigue, especially during the, this whole pandemic uh, season. 
it, it plagues especially people who are in helping professions, you know, um, nurses, teachers, doctors, humanitarian workers, counselors. Uh, this feeling of sometimes feeling helpless and hopeless in the face of endless uh, series of problems and, and perhaps things only a, a appearing to get worse. Um, is, is there a sense of hopelessness overtaking you at times, making you think, um, what good does any of this do? Right? That could contribute to spiritual apathy. Inadequacy and uh, perfectionism. Um, I don't know if you ever noticed underneath uh, sometimes your apathy can be this voice that says, uh, I'm, I'm not enough. So interestingly, you can, you can be apathetic and still be very busy. Uh, you can still be striving very hard, uh, working very hard, trying to improve yourself even perhaps, but not out of a, a belief in a mission or something meaningful, but um, purely out of a sense of inadequacy. I don't measure up. Um, and in order to measure up, I must work, work harder. And so you're busy, but, but not living meaningfully, uh, but driven only by the sense of inadequacy. How about perfectionism, right? Perfectionism tends to lead us maybe briefly to perform at a higher level and then to procrastination um, because you know, it, it, it burdens us with, if I can't do it perfectly, I, can't, I shouldn't do it at all. Or if I do it perfectly, then I have, and I have to do it perfectly every time. Um, so kind of consider whether, you know, do you size yourself up to other people and feel inadequate? Does that create apathy? Or um, do you struggle with perfectionism uh, in your life that either leads to um, being a workaholic or procrastinating? Um, overstimulation could lead to our apathy as well. Uh, he, in the book, he shows how average American watches you know, 2.8 hours of television a day, 19.6 hours a week, uh, and a certain age group reading less than 10 minutes a day. So entertainment has really seeped into our, our culture. It's a major com commodity like never before in, in human history. So we're constantly stimulated through media, movies, social media, music, even in education and spiritual formation, um, entertainment has uh, seeped in and, and sometimes people think it as a necessity. Um, so, so the assumption is everything has to be stimulating, everything has to be entertaining, even the things of God. And uh, that, can, that can cause us to lose interest in substantive things. Um, only captivated by entertainment. So, so overstimulation can also lead to apathy. And then the last thing is, in our culture, it, it's kind of cool to be apathetic. Um, there's this philosophy of, you know, hakuna matata. Um, it's a problem-free philosophy. Don't worry, be happy. Good vibes only. So um, don't be so intense. Don't be so, you know, serious right? That's the attractive way to live, and that's, that's a very popular philosophy today. And in a sense, you know, 
it's logical because if you if you cared enough about reality, it would naturally cause a certain amount of angst and and nervousness and fears that are a natural consequence of living in the real world. Um, it takes it takes fortitude uh, to not be happy all the time, to not have good vibes all the time. That takes courage. Um, but in a sense, to pretend as though happiness all the time, positivity all the time, you, you, you have to have a certain level of apathy to, to live that way, a certain level of a detachment from reality to live as though that's possible. Okay, all right. So, um, what, what I'm showing you in a sense is this could be, right, just the, the tip of the, the iceberg. And if you, if you look underneath, you could be dealing with, right, doubt, grief, uh, triviality, hopelessness, inadequacy, or sense of inadequacy, perfectionism, uh, overstimulation, entertainment. And the culture, uh, cultural philosophy that says it's cool to be apathetic, okay? Um, so apathy possibly is not this standalone thing that you're, you're dealing with, but it's just something that reveals to you a host of other things that you could be dealing with currently in your spiritual life. And in that sense, what this points us to then is, do we have clarity about our own narrative, uh, our own spiritual narrative? Have we been apathetic towards... Um, our own spiritual story. What's really happening between me and God? Um, in a sense, spiritual apathy towards God is, is an apathy towards yourself. Hey, being hazy about God is being hazy about your own life and your own story. Uh, what could be really happening underneath that, that tip of that iceberg? So, our spiritual apathy then strangely can become sort of a, an ally we have as a way of diagnosing um, and learning about our backstory, right? So when you feel apathetic and you start wondering, where is that, what's, un what's underlying all of this, what's revealed could be so helpful to understanding your full spiritual uh, narrative. And diagnosis okay and then I think we can ask okay how does the the scriptures how does the Word of God enter into this and begin to help us re-narrate our, our story okay and tell a better story and that's what I want to uh, look at with you right now um, the biblical solution to our apathy uh, the good news the very good news is Scripture anticipates our apathy and addresses it for us, right? Long before this seminar was planned, God in his wisdom and providence had given us um, plenty of 
scriptural truths about apathy. Uh, you and I, myself included, we've all experienced times when scripture seemed irrelevant. Our relationship with God waffles somewhere between distracted, indifferent, and even, even complaining. Right? God, why aren't you giving me more? Uh, why isn't there any joy? Okay, why aren't you making me feel different? Well, scripture anticipates all of that. Uh, Psalm 119, for example, teaches us how to pray these prayers. Make me understand. Make me alive. Teach me. Open my eyes. Don't forsake me. Okay. Um, do you notice here how uh, the kind of help you're asking for here implicitly reveals the needs and the problems that, that you are currently uh, facing. If you were to fill in that blank there, what would go into that blank? What does the prayer make me understand say about you and, and your need? What does the prayer make me alive say about you and your need? What does the prayer teach me say about you and your need? What does open my eyes imply about your need? What does don't forsake me imply about you and your need? Okay. Take a moment and think about that and see what you might fill in the, those blanks with. Okay. Take a minute or two and fill those out. Right. What I'm going to do is kind of just go down the tables and look for volunteers, okay? So I'll start with this table on my far right. Uh, somebody give me the, what you filled out for the first line. Blank, make me understand. I don't get it, I don't get it make me understand. Awesome. Um, this table, how about one for make me alive? Feeling unmotivated, make me alive. Good. Uh, this table for teach me. Okay, so put I in that statement. How would you put that? I'm curious. Okay, good. All right, back to this table and someone different. Um, open my eyes. Okay, can you put I in that and then make it sound like it's your need, personal, personalize it a little bit more for me? I need to find joy again, open my eyes. Yeah, good. Okay, um, middle table, don't forsake me. What would make someone say that? I'm broken. Yeah, don't forsake me. Um, I got this from a counselor named David Paulison, and, and here's what he put. For the first one, he said exactly what Yeji said, I don't get it. I don't get your word. And this is coming from a brilliant mind. <laughs> um, I don't get it, make me understand. Um, I'm lifeless, make me alive. 
I am ignorant. Teach me. I'm blind. Open my eyes. I feel like I'm a million miles away from you. Don't forsake me. Um, All these prayers, right, and, and you guys had it right, all these prayers given to us are given to apathetic people. Uh, apathetic servants of God must pray these prayers in and out of season. That's why they have been given to us in the scriptures. Uh, and so when, what we can realize here is when we feel a lack of hunger for God's word or an understanding in God's word, it's not just, okay, we're lacking God's word, right? But there's a, a voice that's missing. Um, there's a cry that's missing. It's a cry for help. Uh, it's a cry for understanding. Uh, it's a cry for life. And cry for nearness. Okay. Apathy is the absence of a voice. Um, our spirit, first spiritual solution or biblical solution to our spiritual apathy is giving voice to our apathy. Give voice to your apathy. Father, make me understand because I don't. Lord, open my eyes because I can't see. Spirit, make me alive because I don't feel anything. Uh, don't let me go because I feel very far from you. That's how we combat uh, spiritual apathy, by giving our spiritual apathy a voice and, and a cry. When, when God is saying, cry out to me, right? if you want to grumble to me, okay, I'll take it. Right? Uh, if you want to complain to me, I'll take it. Right? Uh, he's saying, cry out to him, but... Apathy, in a sense, is resistance towards um, reaching out to him with our voice, with our heart cry. So um, here are some steps towards change that really continue from that. I think they should fall like dominoes. So the first step is giving voice to your need, okay? Um, Make your need come alive by giving it a voice, okay? Uh, Kierkegaard said the function of prayer is not to influence God, but to change the nature of the one who prays, okay? So that means, uh, that's so much more than just uh, uh, praying the right way, uh, which is true, but there's a powerful understanding here about how when you pray, you, you become something else. You, you, bring a, you bring an effect, change affecting uh, tool into your life when you pray. Give voice to your need. Um, here's another possible step you can take. Begin with identifying your truest needs according to the one who understands your needs, according to God's word. Identify your truest needs according to God's word. Uh, Philippians 4, 6 to 7, very well-known passage to, to most of us, says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, 
will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Okay, when it says, don't be anxious about anything, right? That's, a, that's an all-encompassing call to talk to God about everything, every little anxiety, great and small. That's what do not be anxious about anything means, right? So, so then begin by pondering, right? Stop and ponder, what are all the things I'm anxious about? What are all the things that are stressing me out? Um, and, and write down whether it's 10 things or two or three things, and, and notice these are the things that are trying to hijack your daily consciousness away from your God. Right. Whatever keeps you from God, the creator of the universe, that, that's your anxiety. And, and whether you feel it or not, that's a state of distress. And God is saying, bring that to me. Uh, great or small, right? Articulate them to me. Because you, you need me in those areas. He's saying your truest need, according to this passage, is to regain the peace of Christ that guards your heart and your mind. So when you notice that you're being anxious about something, anything, bring it to him because your greatest need, your truest need in that moment is to be guarded in, in the peace of Christ. Okay. So w- when we do that, uh, it's really impossible, I, I think, for our devotional life to be just stale when... Um, What's, when, you, when you awaken to the reality of what's really happening in your life, that there's there, all these alarms that are going off, all these distress signals um, and anxieties that point you to your need of God and need of His peace to guard your heart and your mind in Christ. And, and God is saying, come to me and I'll, I'll calm all your storms. Um, God is saying, I'm willing to be present in all of those little moments, little moments of distress and and moments of anxiety. I'm willing to speak into it. I'm willing to touch all that is going on in your life. But it takes stopping to to invite him into that and notice, okay, that is my truest need, is God in my life. Um, There are so many other scriptures, passages that invite us to do that, but that's one, Philippians 4. Um, step three, identify the needs of others, right? Um, you know, think of how Jesus chooses in this passage to single out giving a glass of cold water to somebody who is thirsty and how you won't lose your reward in heaven for doing something that small for someone, right? Um, he, 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 he thought spotting someone else and, and serving them in this very small way really, really mattered, okay? Um, that's the opposite of indifference, identifying the, the, the needs of, of others. Um, it, it, it puts yourself out there for someone else when you think about meeting the needs of others, okay? Um, apathy, in a sense, is the opposite of service, right? Because I don't, I don't really care. Uh, I don't care for myself, much less for others, right? What's the use, right? Uh, that's not how God sees things, right? God is so humble and lowly, he loves to serve even in the smallest of ways. 
And, and that also, according to the Bible, is wisdom, right? Proverbs says to the slothful to go study the ants, the, the little, the tiniest insects who gather the, the tiniest amount to meet the needs of their community. Little things actually matter a lot. Uh, the tiniest things we do, the, the little words we say, uh, smallest act of kindness, all these things actually count in God's world from God's perspective. Uh, C.S. Lewis has this really wonderful quote where he says, there are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, these are mortal, and their life is to ours as the life of a gnat. But it is immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit, immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. This does not mean we are to be perpetually solemn. We must play, but our merriment must be of that kind and it is, in fact, the merriest kind which exists between people who have, from the outset, taken each other seriously. Take others seriously because God does. You're not dealing with mere mortals, but immortals. And I think as you do that, you will also take yourself um, more, more seriously as you, as you put yourself out there to serve others. Uh, step four, hold on to gratitude. Um, apathy does tend to lead to more complaining and grumbling. Uh, grumbling, in a sense, is apathy's way of justifying itself. Uh, it's listing one's reasons for being indifferent and being detached, being inactive. What difference will it make? What's the use? Why should I even bother? Right. Uh, you know, in the Bible, uh, the people of Israel were, were put to death for <laughs> grumbling. Uh, it was, a, it was a death sentence crime to, to grumble against God who is truly good uh, when you blaspheme his name and slander him uh, with perpetual complaints against him. Um, I, know, I know I'm kind of going back on what I said earlier about complain to the Lord. And it, the Israelites weren't really grumbling to the Lord. They were grumbling to the Lord's servant, Moses. Uh, they weren't channeling that in prayer, but on a horizontal human level. God is continually calling us to, to be grateful as we see him for who he really is and grateful for, therefore, his wisdom in our lives, his mercy forgiving us, his provision satisfying us, his power leading us. Um, if we choose to see God for who he is and who we are in light of him, we can be grateful. And, and then begin to see how every little thing really matters because every little thing causes us to be grateful. Are you awakened to gratitude okay, that can push against apathy? Um, apathy is so forgetful um, and, and perhaps even in denial of the fact that we have a lot of privileges and blessings that we should take seriously. Finally, uh, consider Jesus. Okay. Consider Jesus daily. Uh, consider Jesus who was not apathetic about everyday human existence. All right. Dorothy Sayers has this uh, wonderful description about Jesus. Uh, she wrote, Jesus was in every respect a genuine living man. He was not merely a man so good as to be like God. He was God. What it means is this, among other things, that for whatever reason, God chose to make man as he is, limited, and suffering, subject to sorrows and death, he, that is God, 
had the honesty and the courage to take his own medicine. Whatever game he is playing with his creation, he has kept his own rules and played fair. He can exact nothing from man that he has not exacted from himself. He has himself gone through the whole of human experience from the trivial irritations of family life and the camping restrictions of hard work and lack of money to the worst horrors of pain and humiliation, defeat, despair, and death. When he was a man, he played the man. He was born in poverty and died in disgrace and thought it well worthwhile. Okay. Um, I mean, we don't really see much of Jesus's life from birth till you know, year 30 or so. Um, but when you think about it, what, what can you imagine his life being like? Um, how about this? He probably took his life as a carpenter's son, carpenter's son seriously. He probably lived every day with gratitude and with discipline. He must have gone to bed on time so he can wake up early to get to work on time. He must have been committed to reading the word and praying every day. He must have been serving his synagogue members regularly with hospitality and generosity. He must have showed up early to help with setting up, stayed after to help with cleaning up. He must have given people rides on his donkey. He must have spent much time in solitude whenever scripture began to feel stale and tasteless. He must have fasted. Whenever temptation came his way, he must have taken the next right step, done the next right thing, remembering God's word. Guys, this was uh, Jesus' life every single day, 24-7. And if that wasn't trivial for him, the Son of God, maybe it's not so trivial for us. Maybe pursuing these disciplines, patterns, rhythms, are worthwhile if it was worthwhile for him. And the good news is that by his spirit living inside us, we, we have the freedom and the, the power to live as Jesus lived. He, he set us free from the dominance of sin. And so apathy, right, here's the freedom to, in realizing apathy is a choice. It's not your identity. It's not who you are. Uh, it's something we choose into and we can choose out of. We can choose to be overcomers of apathy in Christ. You, can I, you and I can have uh, victory over apathy because of Christ. Okay. So consider Jesus. That's the last step. All right. Um, there are other things in my notes, but for the sake of time, I want to pause here, give you guys a chance to, uh, I think Lynn brought some paper where you can write some questions down. And here's what I want you to try to ask um, is, taking all these principles and trying to, I mean, what we're trying to do is apply to your life, right? So if you feel like there's an area that's challenging in terms of application, that's a good question to ask. Um, or anything related to this or about your spiritual life, please ask. So Lynn, if you would um, help me pass out those. Um... Oh, is that, okay. Yeah, grab a piece of paper. I'll give you a couple minutes to write some questions down. And if you have follow-up as I address those questions, um, you can either raise your hand or you can text it to Lynn if you prefer to just keep it a little more, more private, okay? So get, I'll give everybody like three minutes or so, five minutes or so to, to write those questions down, okay? Go ahead. Should I just start anywhere? Yeah. 
Okay, yeah. I feel like there's a couple that are about um, like spiritual disciplines. Mm. Um, um, I see at least one here that's talking about the beginning part where you talked about some of those other sins that are connected to apathy. Yeah. Um, so one here is um, if my apathy stems from doubt of God's goodness slash blessings to me or another one which would be um, inadequacy compared to others. What are some practical steps to over overcoming this? Yeah, practical step. Well, you have, you have a very helpful focus area now in your scripture reading and, and meditation. Now you're, when you look at scripture, you're looking for assurance. Right. You, you have a very tangible thing you're searching for now um, and a question that you're asking the Holy Spirit when you, when you turn to Scripture. Um, God, um, give me, right, again, that, that, that question, that blank. Is, Lord, here's my need. What is your need? Well, here, when you're wrestling with doubt, what you're what probably needing is reassurance of what? Of, of who God is. So when you're reading scripture, you're not, you're not just kind of reading and um, waiting for like a feeling to kick in, um, but you're looking for uh, what has God spoken reassuringly to his people that, that you can claim as, as a true promise, right? Um, it gives you something specific to, to look for. And so, so next time, let's say you, you turn to Psalm 23, and you read, um, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He leads me beside still waters, right? He lays me down in green pastures, leads me beside still waters. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Your, your application question is, what is God reassuring me of here? Um, what is he saying to the doubting person? through Psalm 23, that I will get you through the valley, that I will comfort you with my rod and my staff. I will be enough for you. Doubt is a voice, and you've been listening to it, and that's okay. What's God saying, and what's his voice, and, and how are you choosing to listen to him so that you're not simply listening to your doubts, but you're also speaking back to it with, with the Word of God. Um, so it just makes your scripture reading, meditation, that much more purposeful. If you can identify, like, what is your... I, I wouldn't even say these are necessarily sin issues. Some doubt is actually, I think, normal and healthy. Uh, it's almost like having antibodies, you know, helps you deal with uh, the, the bigger, bigger issues that, that can naturally surface in life. Um, so are all these other things. And so when you identify these things, it just, when you follow, again, when apathy becomes your ally, you, you follow the trails, uh, it just makes your devotional life, scripture reading, prayer life that much more purposeful. Yeah. Is there a follow-up to that? Okay. Um, so there's a, a lot that are kind of centered around um, being apathetic about uh, your spiritual life, the spiritual disciplines of prayer, of reading God's word. 
um, trying to figure out how to organize this. Oh, this one question. Um, we know we should care, but how do we start to genuinely care about our spiritual life? Yeah, <laughs> that's good. Um, I almost want to draw, you know, I'm going to do it. Um, is, is the word, is there another word used other than care uh, in that question or other questions? Um, I think this one's similar. It says, what if you identify the needs and are holding on to gratitude yet still feel that you're being apathetic? Good. What if you know it in your head and heart, but application doesn't come or it's challenging to keep consistent? Yeah, care. Um, and, the, and then the other word was feel, right? Um, I think another way to ask that is, what, what do I do when I feel unmotivated, right? Do you notice that in this line of questioning, which is normal and natural, what we're not asking is, um, why do I, what do I do when I'm undisciplined? What do I do when I'm unhabituated? We're, what are we focusing on here? It's, it's the feeling, the motivation, um, which is, if you're a human being, if you were to draw it in a sort of a graph, right? How your motivation, drive is another word, right? Driven, being driven. Caring, feeling. Uh, it would look something like this. Some days I'm like, yeah, God's word, yes. <laughs> and, and, then the, and then the next morning I could be like, meh. <laughs> right? That's motivation. If you're driven by motivation and, and feeling, this is all you'll get. But if you're driven by discipline, this is what you have, okay? This is motivation, this is discipline. Um, now, the, the tendency is when you stick to this, you pull this along with you. You just don't wanna flip that around and anchor your discipline on your motivations. Right, you probably get nothing done <laughs> that way. Um, so uh, good things happen through discipline. And okay, now, as soon as you start wondering, but what if I don't feel motivated to discipline myself? You're back to this, aren't you? Yeah. We're not talking about this right now. We're talking about discipline as discipline. <laughs> And Hebrews 12 is an excellent chapter to go to and look at why discipline, when, when you're in it, it can be, it can be difficult and trying, but um, it's worthwhile, right? And in that moment, no discipline is pleasant, but when you stick to it, you will reap, you will reap its fruits. So I think just separating the two Separating the idea of discipline and, and just motivation, feeling, drivenness, do I care about this, is helpful because uh, no matter what your culture says about your feelings, you're not only your feelings. You're not just what you feel, you're also what you choose to do. So be okay with that and you know, here are my feelings and here are my choices, my decisions, my disciplinary approach to life, my habits. Uh, and oftentimes, they bring your feelings to where they should be. 
Yeah, that's helpful. Um, I feel bad for the recording people because I don't know if they'll understand. Y- yeah, that. so I have these sort of fluctuating roller coaster lines for motivation and then this upward, rightward movement arrow for discipline. Thanks. <laughs> um, I do have a follow up question. Yes. Because I think when we think of our spiritual life, we tend to think of the heart, right? Yeah. It's about the feelings, my motivation, if I care. And we know God yeah. cares about the heart. Um, and so it feels like these two different worlds where I think we're all adults. So we do know what it looks like to be disciplined. You know, we brush our teeth, we change at the end of a very long day. We still do whatever we need to take a shower or brush our teeth or take our contacts out or put our clothes away. Um, Mm -hmm. and so we know what it means to be disciplined. Yeah. So I guess I'm wondering how come we don't apply that concept to our spiritual life? Or maybe do you think it's because we're afraid that if we do that, we'll lose track of the heart and like what really matters? I don't know, do you know what I'm trying to get to? I I think so. Um, Because I feel like we know how to do the discipline thing because we work or we go to school or we care for, you know. Um, different things in our life. We do things in our life we don't care about. We keep at it. If we exercise, right. that's we know what that looks like. But why don't we do yeah, that in our that's spiritual good. So, life? So, so um, we just talked about the 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 heart motive, the desire drivenness. The other thing you just brought up is um, I don't know what a symbol for knowledge is, but it's knowing knowledge. Okay. And um, what, I'm, what I just described here is your, your, your action, your, your, your behavioral life, your, your doing, your active obedience, your commitment. Um, if you love me, Jesus said, you will feel like obeying my commandments. No. You will understand my commandments no you will keep my commandments Um, if I love my wife (laughs) um, it's it's really insufficient right if if all I have is feelings and knowledge and no action to show for it right but I think with with the spiritual aspect and maybe because it is spiritual invisible uh, we keep it in these sort of abstract areas of knowing and feeling but kind of take the doing out of our spiritual lives and uh, this is a bigger issue I think among our tradition in the reformed tradition where we stress salvation is by grace alone not by works so that no one should boast um, but then we got to go very quickly then to James where he says, well, then if your faith in that grace is genuine and you've been so captivated by that gratitude, then it, it must translate into action or your faith is dead. That's just as true. Right? So um, the psalmist, his way of expressing love to God in Psalm 119 is keeping his commandments, not just meditating, not just believing, not just trusting, not just studying and, you know, journaling about, but doing, keeping his statutes, because that's his way of speaking God's love language. 
literally speaking God's love language through obedience. So um, I guess the operative question here is, do you want to show God you love him? Um, then then put, put it into action. Um, so active obedience might be a helpful thing to supplement that that very important thing, yeah, knowing is important, and where your heart is is important, but without doing, we're missing a very important third component. Yeah. Okay, this one's also uh, related. So yeah. I want to want to do these things, which is the six steps toward change. Do I have to mm. essentially force myself to do these things in order for them to come to me naturally and more genuinely? Right, right. That's almost like what we're talking about right now, right? Uh, discipline. So, so in a sense, if it, it's almost like asking, is there, is there authenticity or value to forcing oneself when you don't have like a, a desire? Um, well, let me ask, I mean, a question to that question is, um, what is perseverance if not doing something when you don't feel like doing it? And then the follow-up question is, do you persevere ever? In anything um, this is a, a new like sociological thing that's coming out to um, this author named Angela Duckworth wrote this book called grit right you read it uh, she has a TED talk as well she's not a, I don't think she's a Christian as far as I know she's not but she talks about how our culture is so, has been so enamored with this idea of treating kind of our vocation the way Disney movies treat finding your romantic partner. So you find the dream job and then it's happily ever after. Uh, but what you realize in reality is you need a lot of grit, grittiness, uh, to stick to a discipline and then not knowing how just how to fall in love with a job but to stay in love through hours and hours and hours of discipline and through effort you turn your skill into a talent. But um, without effort, without effort, uh, you just have an unrealized um, skill or talent or something like that. I'm, I'm butchering it. But um, so it's the same, same idea. Rather than being committed to a feeling, be committed to a, uh, a discipline. Um, people think they're afraid of commitments when they're not because whenever they say that, um, they show how committed they are to their feelings, hmm. right? It's like, I, I'm afraid of committing because what if I feel differently later? Well, look how committed you are to your feelings. You're, you're great at committing. We're just saying shift that focus to disciplines. Shift that focus of, of your very determined commitment to um, being loyal and faithful to a set of tasks that you believe is worthwhile, you believe is meaningful. So it's not like you're throwing reason out the window. You have, you have examined it to be meaningful, purposeful, helping your neighbor, glorifying to God. Um, then be willing to um, um, repeat that a thousand times, whether you, you, you feel like it or not. So uh, perseverance, discipline, greediness, these are all things that are of value. And so um, it's, it's not accurate to, to somehow trump that with, oh, I'm forcing myself to do it. Well, 
I force myself to go to the dentist. Is that, is that a terrible thing then? No, right? So um, is it a value? Then, is, then it's worth committing to. Then there'll be, there'll be days when you don't feel like doing it. But deep down, you also believe it's, it's worth committing to still. Can I make a comment? Yeah, please. No, please, yeah. <laughs> um, I think as you're talking about this, it kind of reminds me about how I think in any relationship that we want to foster, whether it's with a romantic one or yeah. with a family member or with a friend, yeah. I think we can all call to our mind. Yeah. Our closest relationship is probably one that was hard at moments. Um, and I think it comes down to if you want to commit to your relationship with God, what does that look like? Mm. Um, and... I think that can help in kind of overcoming these, like, I feel, I care, driven, unmotivated. If we remember that we're selfish yeah. and we like to be comfortable, and so if something's hard, we, we will put it off or avoid it. Yeah. Um, and when you know those aspects of yourself, sometimes you will disregard, you will be, yeah. in a sense, apathetic towards your selfish feelings right. because you're like, well, it's right. worth it. Um, and uh, what was the other thing I was trying to get to? And I think if you also, you know, equate it to a relationship, you know, like yeah. um, it's my daughter's birthday coming up next month. I really don't want to do anything. I'm tired. I don't want right. to, you know, plan a big thing. Right. But I really care about her. Right, right. And so yeah. even though it will inconvenience me because I care about her, because I love her, I will do those things. Yes. And I think that can be helpful in kind of talking to yourself when you feel that's a really good that's actually a really good way to so so apply it right to your relational context what if i don't feel like and then insert a relational thing what if i don't feel like forgiving my husband well i guess you don't have to because you don't feel like it that doesn't work (laughs) Um, what if what if i don't feel like um being generous being hospitable, being sacrificial, right? All the things we don't feel like due to our flesh, right? Uh, what do we do with that? And it, it's, the same, it's the same answer, essentially. Yeah. And by active obedience, we, we conform even our feelings and passions to where they should be. Yeah. Okay, so this is kind of related to the relational thing, but kind of on a bigger scale. Oh, um, I, I found a quote from Angela Duckworth's book I wanted to read. Because um, I, I love these couple quotes that really stood out to me from the book. Um, Enthusiasm is common. Endurance is rare. Okay. That's, that's a fortune cookie I want to open one day. <coughs> Enthusiasm is common. Endurance is rare. Um, as much as talent counts, effort counts twice. Okay. That's um, actually like scientifically proven yeah no this is all research based Um, not that it's truer than scripture but um, it's true all truth is God's truth Um, greatness is many 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 individual feats and each of them and each of them is doable one at a time it's doable and if Feats you add as them, an F-E-A-T-S. Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> F-E-A-T-S. Right. We're all in. 
or educated people, we know that. Yeah. All right, sorry, go ahead. Um, so about the relational aspect, um, it's easy to be apathetic towards people, uh, tragedy, etc., that are not near to us. How do we grow a heart to care for these things that seem far, seem so far? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, yeah, you know how there's a, so on the one hand, because of the, the digital age we live in, you're so well connected and you hear about everything, literally everything that's going on. Um, I think it's, it's okay. It's okay to give yourself permission to log off of that. Um, and when Jesus said, be, let tomorrow be anxious for itself, he, he means, uh, he really means it when he says sufficient for the days is his own trouble. Uh, you are not meant to be omniscient about everything that's going on. Um, and so it's okay for you to be disconnected from what's happening over there in the Middle East or, you know, uh, even in a different state. But uh, when you do become aware of things like this, I think um, God does call us immediately to prayer. And, you know, there, there's a, maybe a cultural, like, frowning upon that these days, you know, um, of offering thoughts and prayer. It's like, enough thoughts and prayer. Well, um, I understand the sentiment like against that, but have you really th given it thought and prayer? Do you know how hard that is to pause everything you're doing to think about someone you don't know and pray for them? And if you were to actually put things into action and make changes that you know, help people who are potentially suffering similar things in the future. Without thoughts that precede that, actions never follow. Um, thoughts and prayer is where they all begin. And so uh, I would say, yeah, offer thoughts and prayer. Uh, and don't let people tell you otherwise that, that they're somehow meaningless or of no value. They're, if you're actually offering thoughts, and, and, and of course, you have to do it. You can't just say it. If you're actually praying for someone, what I found is whenever I offer it and I try to do it, it's so draining. It's so, it takes a lot of time and energy and, and work to do that. Um, and I think as I do that, there's two things that happen. One, there's lamenting happening uh, according to God's word, according to his truth. Things are not the way they're supposed to be. You properly lament and that's an appropriate, like, emotional response. On the other hand, you, you hope in the Lord for the coming renewal of this world. Um, the, all the things that we're studying right now about the end of the world, uh, we begin to, I think, take a bit more seriously. And uh, the, the last prayer in the book of Revelation, which is, come, Lord Jesus, right, come soon, becomes our prayer the more we thoughtfully engage in with all the things that are going around us. It's hard to be apathetic um, when you are lamenting appropriately and hoping in the Lord appropriately. So on the one hand, you're not given to pessimism or nihilism. But on the other hand, you're not given to escapism and this sort of naive positivity about good vibes only. And like that, that takes willful ignorance of what's going on around us. So lamenting in hope. Uh, not grieving as those who are without hope. That's, that's how you do that. And thinking and praying, it, it, it matters. And so don't let anyone discourage you from that.
Um, so uh, I guess, because yeah. this person was asking how to grow heart to care for the things, care for those things. So I did hear from your answer that part of it is there's a social pressure, right, to care about everything in a sense. Yeah. And that's not always the case because there's also, I feel like social media is telling me to care about this, but are you asking God, do you want me to care about this? Are you asking me to care about well, this? And, and, and I think it depends on what you mean by care, you know, uh, what care enough to think about it, care enough to give money to a cause, care enough to make it your vocational commitment. Mm -hmm. What do you mean care? Mm. Um, and you have to use uh, wisdom and discernment and your calling, right? If you're, if you're, yeah, you can care a lot and neglect other things that you should be caring more about. So, um, uh, you gotta be balanced in how you discern God's calling for you. Like if we were to drop our kids completely and go care for the North Korean crisis, we'll be neglecting God's call to, to parent. So, uh, it's 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 got to be a contextual term, you know, caring um, according to God's gifting, according to God's calling. Yeah. Okay. Um, this last question here: um, Should I depend on uh, my partner to help in my apathy, or only lean on God? What if I do mm. not feel supported by my partner? Um, and then it's just hard to find consistency with having accountability as well, and discouraging at times. So this one's kind of about like yeah. accountability. And I think when they say partner, I think they're like spouse. Right. It could be accountability partner or something. Uh, send them the link to being a Christ-like husband from the last men's <laughs> equipping seminar. Um, I'm half serious when I say that because um, we, we say a lot about that, about, mm -hmm. yeah, you, you, you have to pick up that responsibility there um, but yeah I, I mean first Corinthians 7 talks even about the the believing spouse the believing wife actually he mentions believing wife sanctifying the unbelieving husband so in that case I mean it's not only zero support it's actually hostility coming from one spouse uh, in that context and, and and God gives a lot of encouraging hopeful words there to the believing wife um, through your relationship with God, through your life of worship, service, um, uh, God effects change in the husband. Uh, so your dance partner there is, is God, the Holy Spirit, it's Christ, and um, your husband can be your mission field in a sense. So you don't have to be discouraged. It's not like um, you're somehow a half a Christian without your husband, no. Um, the Holy Spirit lives inside you. The third person of the Trinity dwells inside you. Uh, you can you can be more than a conqueror in that in that mission field. Um, I think it might you, have, you might have to recalibrate a little bit. Um, let's say he's an immature Christian or a Christian who is very apathetic. Um, uh, look at all the Psalms where David feels alone where he feels like his parents his father his mother his children have abandoned him and how he clings to god in those moments and how he draws strength um, from the lord 
uh, he is enough uh, for you in those moments and and then and then you can uh, i think think about being the the sanctifying factor the the encourager the missionary and the and, or the, even the discipler in that relationship because um, um, yeah god i've seen this time and time again how god uses one partner to really sanctify the other um, and faith comes by hearing hearing through the word of christ the best thing you can do is expose him more to scripture more to the preaching of god's word more in the more to the context of worship and fellowship with other other saints um, sometimes just uh, putting them in that context of biblical counseling can also help um, but you got to be careful in how you invite him into that uh, so men can be quite simple in that if you if you communicate something as a need that empowers them to want to meet that need but if you communicate something as a sort of you've deprived me of this kind of thing um, they they'll just believe you and think okay well you think I'm terrible and so I'll further check out from your life um, so in a strange way, you could actually uh, encourage him out of apathy by speaking more empowering words into his life. Um, I want to trust you and lean on you. I, I want to depend on you more. Uh, can you help me in this? And here's, here's, here's where we can turn to. That would be the best way to invite someone, invite a partner, especially a male partner, into growing together spiritually um, and not, not sounding critical or disrespectful or uh, blame shifting as you do so, but leaning and uh, relying as you do that. And, and they'll believe it. They'll be, <laughs> they'll be like, okay, well, this person's really relying on me. I need to step up here. I need to play this role. And, but then if you, if you come across as you're no good. They'll believe you too. That's okay. I'm no good. I'll step away. Thanks. Any follow up to that? I said a lot there. I don't know if that. But. I do have like one last question. Yeah. One more okay. question. Yeah. Um, we'll close with that. Uh, just about the, like the spiritual disciplines. Yeah. Um, when it comes to starting, like that commitment or starting that new lifestyle of praying or reading the word? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Is there like a practical step or a resource that you would recommend for how to get started? Um, and I guess the other question is, what should someone do or when they run into you know, the obstacles along the way, what's something they can do or can they reach out to you? if they have any questions or, cause I feel like mm -hmm. spiritual disciplines is almost like exercising. And if you yeah. don't know what you're doing, yeah, you could be, your posture could be bad, you know? And that could mean like when you're starting off scripture, expecting that it's going to be easy, you yeah, know? That's good. So, um, maybe some tips yeah. or things to look out. That's for. a good thing to, to close on. Yeah, that's good. Um, so, God has given us the, the church, and um, 
it, it's worth asking, um, have we, have I, or have we, if you're a couple, have we exhausted uh, what God is, has offered us through this local body called the church? So here's NCA, EM to be specific, right? We have uh, Sunday worship, Right. Um, I, I really encourage folks to make Sunday worship sort of the, the sacred hour of the week where uh, we're not going to miss this. If we're on vacation, we're going to worship somewhere else, but we're, we're going to worship on Sunday. Uh, and, then, and then you, right, as you can do a simple thing like following up, um, like, so, so what did you learn today? <laughs> like, I, I ask my kids that all the time. What did you learn in church today? Um, without that, it's almost, it can just kind of, you know. Um, what, did you, what did you, not just from the sermon. It could be from a hymn. It could be from a catechism. It could be from a time of prayer, right? What did, what did God reveal to you today? Um, so Sunday worship. And then we have our um, fellowship through various things like, you know, um, like cell group and through these sort of equipping seminars and et cetera, right? Uh, am, I, am I making myself uh, present in these places and through relational context, through the instructional context, am I growing in my understanding of, of God's word? And then there's um, service, right? There are various ministries that we can serve in and through service, right, you, yeah, you see the, the, the details, the, the little things that go into making a church run, right, or go, and uh, you sort of push yourself out of a place of not knowing or being indifferent, but you see, like, if you're doing PowerPoint, it's like, oh, so these are the, the slides, and it's how, this is how it's put together and, and whatnot. You become mindful of the details, and that, that's not apathetic. Um, and then we have discipleship, which we don't really like advertise, but um, we have discipleship groups and men's groups and women's groups where uh, select people who commit to very intense study in scripture and um, living missionally, uh, applying scripture, sort of massaging scripture into our, our lives. There's that. There's, we offer, you know, pastoral counseling, biblical counseling for various areas in life and um, sort of fine-tuning areas, whether it's personal life or marriage, parenting, where we could use God's wisdom. Um, we're we're going to have word and prayer where we gather on Saturday mornings. We have questioning Christianity that hopefully will equip you to share the gospel more effectively with non-believing friends and family members. Um, what, am I, what am I forgetting here? Yeah. So these are the mach machines we have in our gym. And if you've only been using this machine, there's an imbalance in your, right? Have you seen those guys with like a huge like arm and like super skinny legs? You haven't seen them? Okay. Don't Google it. Just um, <laughs> so <laughs> Get a, get a thorough, right? Exhaust um, all that's here 
um, not in equal amounts, but be, be exposed to these things so that um, you begin to have a more holistic um, spiritual, spiritual life. Um, at least go beyond just that, if, if that's been your, your thing, to see if you can explore uh, these other things and make that a regular part of your life. Um, and, and see it through. See it through, yeah. Yeah, um, so, right. I, have, I had people come to me and um, ask me uh, for like a specific topic they want to like more explore. So there's a, there's a devotional guide. Let's, I, I just actually gave someone, several people actually, a 31-day devotional guide on um, the topic of assurance. I have a, a couple people I'm sending because they ask me for accountability. I send like this sort of, 10 day at a time daily devotional thing too um, because they wanted sort of a daily reminder. I have friends uh, who are accessing the podcast, the devotional podcast. Um, it, ask and you shall receive. Okay? Uh, you have not because you ask not. Okay. Uh, it, so, so, you know how when you go to, I, I, I'm, I'm using the gym reference just because it's, it's just the closest thing to health. It's not because I, I frequent it. But you know, the first thing they do is they sit you down and they ask you is, so what are your goals, right? What are your goals? And you tell them, oh, it's either endurance or fitness or, you know, I want to go to the beach this summer, whatever it is. Uh, you tell them your goal and then they'll give you a plan, right? So ask and uh, tell me your goal. Uh, I want to improve this area of my marriage. Uh, I want to be more intentional in my parenting. I want to be more thoughtful in my workplace. I want to love my parents better. I want, right? Um, how does scripture instruct me? I'm struggling with guilt. I'm struggling with doubts. I'm struggling. How does scripture, and I'll point you, uh, point you in the right direction. But, um, but it's also okay to prayerfully open up the Gospel of John or the Psalms, and we have a we have a guide on our website. Um, there's an article called uh, Four Questions" or something like that to help you through devotion or something like that. You can follow that simple guide and uh, thoughtfully work through your devotional. Uh, it's almost like having a, like a workout app on your phone and doing it at home, a DIY kind of thing. Um, the resources are endless, right? So it just begins with um, going back to maybe our first joint equipping seminar where we talked about how to enjoy doing daily devotionals, right? Pausing, it starts with just pausing, getting in the right posture of taking a deep breath and just being mindful, oh, God is with me and this time is with, for him and with him. Then whatever you do after that, it's gonna be a win. Um, so pausing and getting in the right posture and then, and then praying into that moment. Um, you can't lose if you do that. All right. Um, 
Guys, let me close us in prayer. I'll stick around if you have any more follow-up questions afterwards, all right? Heavenly Father, uh, thank you for, uh, once again, um, this time of um, exploring this topic. And we may be just kind of scratching the, the surface. Um, but Lord, I pray that um, the, the seeds uh, you, you, you've sown will bear fruit. And you help us move towards taking tangible steps. I pray that you, you would encourage us to uh, continue our, our journey of discipleship with you. Uh, Lord, uh, this is probably something we will uh, uh, encounter uh, constantly, uh, this uh, feeling of apathy. Uh, but Lord, um, help us to express that to you. Help us to give voice to it and uh, draw near to you even through it, through it, Lord. Um, help us and, and be our shepherd in this area. Encourage our hearts. Strengthen our weak uh, knees. And uh, uh, help us to uh, walk in, in discipline, in, uh, with joy, uh, with uh, gratitude, with hope. Uh, we thank you and we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Thank you, guys.